0: all right, what's going on, guys? I've got Davis Love third on the podcast, and the reason why I'm bringing this one out is this is from a while back, a few months ago, in Richmond, Virginia. I spoke with him during the PGA Tour Champions playoff event there uh, a while back, but you know what? He speaks a lot about St. Andrews. He's got a huge passion for the old course and from playing the Open Championship. I think he played 25 straight times, something like that. So we get into his love. For this tournament that we're about to embark on here the Open Championship and then also we talk about practical things for our game right short game improvement long game he's a great driver iron player from over the years who give us some really good tips there and also President's Cup and Ryder Cup thoughts from Davis Love III so we're gonna get to it here Davis Love III on Beyond the Clubhouse here with Davis Love III, and Davis, I'm looking at your career, and I'm just wondering, when you look back at your rookie year, what would
1: you tell rookie Davis Love III? Um, well, you need to take care of your body a little bit better. Um, I think <laughs> the difference now, after watching the Ryder Cup team, you know, for two or three weeks, really, kept an eye, close eye on them, practice at the Tour Championship, and then at the Ryder Cup, they're just so fit. You know, they, they, they never let up with their working out, with working with a therapist, you know, trainers. Um, the wear and tear of a career is a lot longer than you'd think and, um, to, to last. And I've been very blessed to have last, lasted a long time, but it was a lot of surgeries, and I probably could have played a lot better if I if I'd have worked out a lot harder when I was younger. When you look
0: back on your career on the PGA Tour, what are two shots, giving you two shots to take Mulligans at, where would you take them?
1: I'd probably take them both at the the U.S. Oakland at Oakland Hills that Steve Jones won I I really didn't need a mulligan on a swing I I got a bad yardage on the first hole of the tournament flew it over the green made a double Uh, just a little excited about how far I'd driven it on the first hole of of a major and and got the wrong sprinkler head and then I bogeyed the last two with a three putt at the last hole and I lost by one so you know just the three putt on the last hole you make a a tricky 20-footer downhill to win the U.S. Open, and I three-putted it and um, didn't even get in a playoff. So um, I've thrown away a lot of shots in my career, but that that last three-putt in the U.S. Open was tough to take. What's that feeling
0: like in in an individual sport like this when, you know, the buzzer sounds and then you just got to deal with it?
1: Well, I was was in that category of, you know, a player that should win a major. I kind of got myself into the category of best player to have never won a major. And so it's disappointing when you get a chance to win one and you don't pull it off. And I had a lot of close calls, um, a lot of second places, and a lot of top tens. But um, you just have to move on. You know, you, you're not going to win every one of them. But uh, when you get that good a chance, it's, it's sometimes tough to swallow. But it makes you work harder. Probably made
0: winning at Wingfoot that much sweeter, I'd imagine, right?
1: Yeah, winning at Wingfoot, and then you know, soon after that, um, I um, I was very competitive in a lot of big tournaments. you know. I had won a player's championship, but I won another one um, in 92 or whatever. When I won the first one, the players was a, a really big tournament. When I won it in 2003, it had become an almost major. And so when Justin Thomas won, I texted him, told him, I said, you should really count that as a major because it's such a hard tournament to win. And he goes, yeah, we'd, we'd like that, wouldn't we? <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I felt like, Against good fields, you know, obviously the PGA Championship's one of the best fields in golf. Against good fields, I got myself in a position where I felt like I could win them. When you
0: mentioned texting uh, JT, like how close did you feel like you were over these years as an assistant captain uh, in this role recently to these younger guys?
1: Well, I've been lucky with a lot of them that um, I watched them grow up. You know, my son played um, the same era as as a lot of these guys in college. Um, So when Bryson first came out, or Justin Thomas, or Jordan Spieth, um, they were guys that my son was playing against, you know, Bo Hostler and all those guys. So it's been fun to watch them grow up and become superstars. And but I've gotten to play with them a lot as well, and be um, on teams as assistant captain or captain with them. So I'm, uh, I'm very blessed to to have been able to do it that many times with these guys. I keep saying I need to go, but um, you know, I got one more at least. Uh, Presidents Cup in Charlotte's going to be a lot of fun, and um, you know, this team really has been on a roll, but I know Paris was, was disappointing. Jim Furyk did a great job as captain, just had a couple guys that, you know, weren't playing as well as, but the last four or five cups, they played really, really good golf. This is a
0: really amazing team, top to bottom, one through 12, really, that Ryder cup team. And now for you to take them in the very next year, how, how much are you looking forward to that opportunity, knowing their depth?
1: Well, I said, all along we we probably are not going to get the same 12 and then as soon as i see the next presence couple of, you know sam burns is up at number six or seven um so it, it'll shake up a little bit but the core group um you know there was a core group uh in every generation of guys you know it was curtis lanny ben crenshaw tom kite um we're, were a core group that i i joined in with as a kid um so now there'll be there'll be some young guys that join in you know with the Dustin Brooks, Jordan, Justin group, but we have a we have a good core group, and um, you know I would love to take the same twelve, but you know Sam Burns was right on the bubble, Webb Simpson was right on the bubble. Um, we we had some guys that were really close to playing well, so I know I know whatever twelve we get, they're going to be really really good. We just have to do like Stricker did. We have to do a really good job of getting them prepared before they get there. You know. Um, I think the couple months before getting them ready, uh, Steve Steve did an unbelievable job of, of bonding the team together and, and building, um, he called it one team, um, building a team. Um, you can't just do that starting on Monday night when you show up at a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup.
0: Well, you had mentioned on a previous podcast that um, you guys, the American team often gets too excited and kind of overthinks things going in. How are you guys able to kind of manage through things?
1: Well, I think, Anytime it's a home game, you're, you're excited. Um, but I think Steve did a really good job of, um, of talking to the guys about what he expected of them. You know, Obviously, we had a, a couple of things that were controversial leading in, a couple of things that were unknowns leading in. Um, you know, some guys that people thought would be on the team that ended up being on the team. So Steve did a really good job of communicating. Um, You know, We played a week before, uh, went up for two days to Whistling Straits. Um, Steve walked him out on the first tee and had a little conversation with him, which is something I've never seen a captain do. Each and every player? Yeah, everybody was there. Brooks wasn't there because of his wrist, but everybody else was there, players and caddies. Mm. And um, Brooks got a full explanation of what (laughs) what the captain said on that first tee a week before. But um, I think he just did a really good job of of, – preparing them for what he expected and what was going to happen. And, you know, it's obviously a big home game for Strickers, for, for Team USA. You know, we did very well at Hazeltine, um, didn't didn't play as well on an away game. And so Steve's trying to right the ship and get them back on track. And he did a really, really good job. Yeah.
0: Um, the Open Championship, you mentioned playing 25 straight times. You love that event. You love the trophy presentation, though. Talk about just what that means to you. And I know your friend, good friend Justin Leonard won it over the years. But what do you love so much about that?
1: Well, I just love the history of the Open Championship. You know, my dad went over there and played a few times. And one time I actually played very well. Um, was tied for Low American, which used to be a big deal back in the 60s and the 70s. you go over there and... And um, and play well in the Open Championship, you know Arnie and Jack and those guys. Back to Bobby Jones, just love going over there. And um, it was a foreign tournament back then. Now it's a worldwide tournament. Um, but I I loved playing over there, and I loved the tradition. So I would go. You know, a lot of times we all stayed until Mondays after to get to get back home. But if, especially if one of my friends, I I was fortunate. You know, I um at Turnberry watched Nick Price received the trophy back up to the, the hotel and, and got to drink out of it that night. You know, And I said, Nick, this is gonna be bad luck if I drink out. No, 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 you're gonna win yours. And I, of course I never did. So um, maybe that's a jinx, but um, to watch good friends like Dave Duvall, Justin Leonard, and then Darren Clark, um, and have them say champion golfer for the year. I think that's the, one of the coolest lines. So there's two things I would, if I'm watching the Stanley cup playoffs. I don't care who the last two teams are, but I'm going to watch the final game and watch them skate the cup. And if I'm anywhere near the open championship, I'm going to go out there and listen. And I started with sir, Michael Banalek, which is even cooler. You know, (laughs) one of the great amateur players from over there and have him say champion golfer for the year, you know, is a pretty cool thing. And, um, how many people have a hundred and I don't know, how long has it been going? 150 years of this year, yeah, of the same 100%. trophy presentation. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what's so cool. And the Masters, giving out the same crystal year after year for making a hole-in-one or eagle. I just love traditions like that. Yeah.
0: I remember at St. Andrews, last time I was there, I remember Jordan was going for three in a row. And I remember during this, the trophy ceremony, his dad was hugging family, extended family as they were leaving, departing from Scotland. Son could have won three straight majors. He was so close. You know what I mean. So yes, you have history there, but there's just so many subtle moments that happen there at the Open as well.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, an incredible um, tradition, and all the way back to you go to St Andrews, you go to Old Tom Morris's grave, and my wife said, "Well, we did this last time we were here." I said, "Yeah, and the next time we come here, we're going to do it again <laughs> because it's just paying homage to the to the origins of the game and carrying on a tradition." And um, you know, I I just love to see that literally kids that. I knew in high school and college and you know, are now <laughs> winning major championships, and I get to watch them do it. Yeah, the
0: last aspect of the interview, I wanted to get a little advice on amateur golfers as weekend golfers. Five topics, uh, general topics about how we can improve our game. So when it starts with driving, what are some good fundamentals we could work on?
1: Well, driving, the, the best advice my dad ever gave me is swing at a pace you can't control. So here I am, 57 years old, and I'm still <laughs> trying to remind myself, don't swing so hard. Um, Now I have a flight scope radar fancy machine, and it will tell me when I swing too hard, the clubface gets closed. And if I smooth it out and swing 80, 90 percent, the clubface squares up, you get more smash factor. My dad didn't know what smash factor was, but he could hear it. He could hear it. (laughs) And if you swing too hard, you're just not going to catch it in the middle of the face, and it's not going to go. So swing at a pace you can't control, which means, as I was a little kid, keep your feet on the ground when you swing hard. You know, If you lose your balance, you've you've lost your swing. Um, That's the biggest thing with driving. And then I I think most amateurs don't aim well, and especially with a driver. You have to be very specific. You have to pick out a spot to hit it. If you're aiming at the fairway, you're going to miss. You have to pick out a tree, pick out a... Uh, some sort of a target to aim at, and and that way you you quit looking at the woods. Yeah. As it relates
0: to iron play, is that similar to? Do you want to be thinking real target oriented, or, or what's good thoughts there?
1: Well, I think iron play. The the farther you are from the green, I think this is where like Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus were so good. They aimed at the middle of the green, and they weren't expecting to hit four irons in there and spin them in there two feet every time. Now they did that, but they were trying to hit. There are longer clubs in the middle of the green. And then when you get to shorter irons, Bob Rotel always says, you know, under 130, 140 yards, then you start aiming more at the flag. But same thing, you got to pick out a target. If you're aiming the middle of the green and you're not specific, you're going to just miss the green. So um, we, we always say the TV tower, the amateurs can't aim at the TV tower, but you have to pick out something to aim at and try to hit it there. And a lot of times you'll miss it towards the flag just out of instinct. But if you're aiming in the middle of the green, you know, you're. now there's no three irons, but you're four, five, six, seven iron, and then as you get closer to the green, start aiming more at the the hole, um, you'll be a lot more consistent. You'll hit a lot more greens. Um, And
0: then also uh, green reading. You're talking about hitting greens, but green reading, what is the right kind of approach there, having the right attitude?
1: Well, um, if you watch the pros, especially on Bermuda, they walk around and look at different views of their putt and then they look in the hole they're looking for grain and I'm shocked when I play in a pro-am how many times I could say well don't you see that it's dark if you look that way if you turn around the other way and look it's light and they go yeah I go that's where it's breaking because the grain's growing down the hill 99% of the time it's not going to grow uphill and my dad again always said imagine it's raining where's the water going to go if it's going that way, that's which way the ball is going to break. So I um, always try to, when I, when I get an amateur, I try to get him to stand on one side of the green and then stand on the other and, and get a feel for which way the grass is growing. And, um, you know, especially on Bermuda, if you, if you don't read the grain, you're done. I think that's what Jordan Spieth does so well is he's, he's one of the best green readers I've ever been around. Therefore, he's one of the best putters on the tour cuz everybody's got a good stroke, but if you if you read the greens right, get the pace of them, uh you can make a lot more putts.
0: What about the right attitude for chipping around? We put a lot of pressure on us with chipping, but
1: Yeah, chipping um is, again, you got to keep it real simple. You got to make it as many of the strokes um as you can like a putting stroke. Uh you don't see pros with a whole lot of flippiness. You know, sure, Phil hits the the magical lob shot a lot, but most of it's really straightforward. And one of the great um, Golf Digest school things I learned watching the great all those great teachers back in the day is minimum air time, maximum ground time. If you think about that, say, like, well, I don't have to hit a 60 degree wedge every time. If I take an eight iron and just get it running on the green, I'm going to take a lot of those um, factors out. The skulls and the and the fats if you're chipping it like with your putting stroke with an eight iron or seven iron or all the way back to raymond floyd would chip just off the edge of the green with a six iron and just get it rolling um one basic shot and you just change the loft of your club to get it higher i think is the simplest thing and a lot of times like out of the bunker most people just just get it on the green and two putt you don't have to get fancy this bunker shots easy open it up splash it out on the green and let's get out of here so i think uh, the right attitude and you know Like Gary Player said, yeah, I'm pretty lucky out of the bunker. The harder I practice, the luckier I get. Um, Most people don't want to practice chipping. Uh, They like to hit hit drivers. (laughs) So get out there and and experiment a little bit and, and work on your chipping and try to keep that ball on the ground as much as possible.
0: Well, Davis, appreciate you joining me here on Beyond the Clubhouse here for a few minutes. All right, thank you. All right, my thanks to Davis Lev for jumping on the pod. Again, this was in Richmond, Virginia during the PGA Tour Champions playoffs last fall. So it's a while back, I get it. Uh, But I know there's a lot of stuff about St. Andrews that I thought was worth bringing up. And also relevant stuff too, because he is the President's Cup captain. And a lot of that practice content was helpful, I think, as well for our game. Long game, iron play, short, short game as well, around the green. So anyway, hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll catch up soon here again on Beyond the Clubhouse.